Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. Um, I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, let's get into it. Absolutely. Not the catchphrase from the main show. Right, yeah, no. You're just saying. We're we're just getting started, yeah. There's no question involved here. You know what I should start saying? What's that? On the BP Movie Journal. Let's do it to it. Uh, I don't think I would want to respond to that if you said You're not a fan of let's do it to it? It's fun. I'm a big fan of uh, if you're in it to win it. Okay. You got to pay to play. Well, you know what, um, I, what I always say to my wife because it makes her laugh. Uh, hey, no risk it, no biscuit. <laughs> and and so, someday you'll say, you know what I used to say to my ex-wife? <laughs> uh, all no, right. I said it makes her laugh. Yeah, yeah but also, I it's mean. It's cute. It's a cute D- thing because it rhymes and because biscuits are cute. Look, okay, yes, admittedly, that's true. I was at, uh, Jen and I were at uh, the doctor's office uh, yesterday to uh, get uh, physicals for adoption paperwork and stuff. And uh, we were in there for like 45 minutes. And lo and behold, the great British baking show <laughs> was playing. And, uh, the, and the episode was uh, biscuit-based. So they were all making biscuits. And uh, boy, made me very hungry. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, okay, so my first, my, you know what? I'm going to be talking about two movies in a row, and they're similar, but only in the vaguest possible way. Okay. So the first one is William Eubanks' Underwater. Oh, yeah, I, I was I'm excited as a, well, because this is a crossover of our interests, because mm-hmm. you like underwater monster movies, yes. and I like Kristen Stewart. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. She's really, really good in the film. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot up to a point and then I didn't necessarily stop enjoying it and I certainly it's not that I I stopped liking it but there there's a, there's a certain inherent appreciation to it it might be that around the half like the halfway point maybe even like 60% in you start to see the uh, monsters that uh, we're dealing yeah. with and they're well designed but they're just not that novel you know um what i will say is i i had to stifle my laughter for the first five minutes it wasn't a mocking laughter it was a holy shit they're not even trying to not be alien oh okay like the way the title is revealed and then just the camera slowly going uh through corridors i was like wow it didn't. I didn't think it was a ripoff, uh, perhaps an homage. But I was just like, "Wow, they're just like leaning right into it." So it was. It was maybe like a, a, a laughter of, uh, I you know, I appreciate the the cojones on uh, William Eubank. Um, but then, and and I also like that the action starts within six minutes. You know, and that is something that is very different than Alien. Like they just get right to it. And I really appreciate that. Uh, I think Kristen Stewart, both the way that she looks, you know, they cut her hair very short mm-hmm. and, um, you, you believe cause a lot of these characters are, many of them are scientists, but some of them are engineers and she's one of the engineers. Okay. And so she's a pretty small person. So you need like, what can we do to give the impression that there is a sort of a working class quality to her and that she works with her hands and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And so I think they do a pretty good job of that. Um, and, and that's just from a visual standpoint, but she herself seems to, she has gotten, she just gets very physical with the role as 
she should. And, uh, and I think the cast all around is, is great. I really, it's always nice to see Vincent Cassell. Um, and then as, as the story, the way it unfolds, it's, yeah, yeah, there's a monster element to it, a big, a big element, but to me, I think it's more the, uh, the survival aspect, you know, um, because it's not merely, oh, there's something after us. It's also, we could drown at any moment. We're so deep underwater that, uh, if there's a crack in somebody's helmet, that is a problem, oh, wow. uh, stuff like that. So and I think it has a really strong visual sense, a pretty solid uh, score. It really is just a, a really serviceable sounds maybe negative, but uh, it's 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 a pretty effective film. Uh, and I think for me, it really is just the introduction of the monsters. When you get, I mean, when it comes right down to it, like when you get that deep underwater, you, you might as well be dealing with aliens. You know, sure, uh, yeah. you don't have to have them look like anything we've seen before. And the fact that many of them kind of have a humanoid quality, it just feels like a uh, we don't need that. Like, yeah. I want something that seems is unlikely, seems extremely <laughs> unlikely, uh, especially the fact that even though. So like, and they have eyes and their eyes kind of glow, which certainly is creepy, but also extremely unlikely. There's no need for them to have eyes, um, when you're that far underwater. So, um, I, I do kind of wish that what we had seen was something that is just so otherworldly that it's just disconcerting to even look at it. Um, but aside from that, uh, it was still a film that I really, uh, enjoyed. I'm glad I saw it in the theater, uh, and I think it has a pretty good. Uh, I think it has a pretty good finale as as well. And uh, yeah, for somebody like myself who I like Alien, I like underwater monster movies. Uh, so and this seemed in many ways sort of like that movie Leviathan, which is not a good movie. But uh, oh, the eighties one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, not the <laughs> not the not either not of the, either of the new the ones. Two thousands. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, but yeah, I I think you would like it, and I think most people who enjoy science fiction or monster movies or survival, uh, films, okay. uh, I think would, would enjoy it. And Kristen Stewart is, I think very yeah. much like up to the task of carrying the, the load because there are sections where the characters get separated and we're just following her. And I think oh, she okay. is able to hold our attention. Uh, I've, I have heard that unfortunately TJ Miller's character is not killed right away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, obviously as a person, he's detestable and just maybe just crazy. Um, like, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, maybe actually something is wrong with him. Yeah. I I, it seems um, like it. Yeah. And so, uh, but whatever it is, he seems to be able to like dial that back when playing these, t- certainly it's, it, it can only be described as a TJ Miller type role, yeah. uh, as his roles often are. Um, and he does a he does a fine job with it. He's definitely the comic relief, and uh, comic reliefs certainly can't make it to the end unless we're talking about you know something like Cabin in the Woods or something right. like that. But uh, but yeah, um, or Scream, or Scream. That's right. Yes, Rand- Randy survives. That's and right. Dewey, uh, Officer Dewey, both survive. I'd say he's more the comic relief. Which one, uh, Dewey? Dewey. Yeah, more so than Jamie Kennedy. Um, I actually just recently read that uh, in the original screenplay, uh, 
Dewey didn't make it. And I, he gets stabbed. I, that was supposed to be his death scene yeah. or whatever. And it was like kind of while it was like on the day they were that Wes Craven was like, what if you show up? <laughs> what if yeah. you didn't die? It's so interesting when you hear about that sort of thing. Like the, um, like Richard Dreyfus and Jaws was supposed to die. Uh, oh, he was yeah. supposed to be eaten in the cage. Um, cause does he die? He dies in the book. Yes, he does. Right. Um, a very different type of character in the book, but, uh, yeah, I mean in the book, Quentin and Hooper both go and it's just Brody completely by himself and Mm -hmm. here, but because they had the, it's not stock footage, but they have the, the authentic shark footage and it gets all wrapped up in the, in the cage and it, and, and they're like, Oh, we want to use this footage, but it doesn't fit with what we've got for Hooper. So they changed the script so that they could use that footage. And Spielberg, I I almost feel like he probably would have arrived at it anyway, Mm. because, Hooper is a likable character and people are excited to see him come back there yeah, at the end. And that ending is so great. It yeah. is great. Yeah. All Whereas right. if it's just Brody, you know, <laughs> going back to shore by himself, yeah. uh, there's a sadness there, a mournful quality. But, yeah. um, <clears throat> anyway, so that was one waterlogged film. And then here's oh. another one that Did you watch the documentary maiden. That's the one. I thought maybe you were catching up on end of the year stuff. And made You'd think and- so, but no. I was yeah. watching a movie I got for Christmas. Okay. Uh, a film that I, that I watched many times when I was younger. Uh, and then Kino, of all places, released it on Blu-ray. It is, of course, Cabin Boy. Um, oh, cool. Have you seen it? Uh, not since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it since uh, VHS. And, uh, and I... Got a the Kino released a nice Blu-ray yeah. uh, transfer, and it's still extremely funny uh, and goofy and strange. And then you you know there's a commentary, there's a, a, a an interview with uh, Chris Elliott and the director. And what's the director's name? Is it Resnick? Is it Adam Resnick? Okay, that, yeah, Adam that Resnick. Right? That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I was gonna say Adam Rifkin. That's a different person, but. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting, you know, when you're a kid, like, I just saw that, hey, this is, uh, this is the guy from Get a Life, he's in a movie, let's watch it, and I enjoyed it, the end. Yeah. What I didn't realize was how poisonous that movie was to these guys' careers, because, yeah. like, it, critics mostly hated it, audiences stayed away, and the studio distanced itself from the film almost completely. And so, watching their interviews was really interesting, because... Um, because they reveal like what it was like to be working on this thing that initially was conceived uh, as like a Tim Burton film and he was going to direct it. And then he pivoted because he was working on Ed Wood at the time. He pivoted okay. to just producing it. And like if it had been a Tim Burton movie, he probably would have done it in a different style. And I think people would have inherently taken it more seriously, uh, even though it was a comedy. And so, but as it is, I really appreciate what they're doing, that it's just, it's self-consciously low budget, Mm -hmm. delightfully low budget, I would say. And the humor, um, some of it is very deadpan. And obviously there's that little cameo from Letterman at the beginning because Chris Elliott and uh, Adam Resnick worked as like writers and contributors to uh, Late Night. But uh, the the big line from Letterman where he plays like a salty old uh, 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 shop owner or something at this uh, seaside town um, and 
this came out the same year that Letterman hosted the Oscars. So he played a big, he played that up huge uh, okay. at the Oscars. And so they'd say, Hey, would you like to buy a monkey? And he's got one of those stuff. Yeah. Monkeys. I remember that. Uh, but there's a moment. It's just such a Letterman delivery. And I love it. He goes, he goes, look at that outfit. Is it, is it your little spring outfit? <laughs> and it just uh, makes me laugh so hard. And then uh, yeah. Andy, Andy Richter is in it as well yeah, for a short and time. I want to say Brian Doyle Murray's in it. Brian Doyle Murray, Brian James, James Gammon. And uh, then uh, I don't remember the name of the captain. He was a, a character actor who's actually, who had been in a bunch of stuff, but nothing that I had really uh, was that familiar with. Melora Walters is in it. Ricky Lake is in it. Oh, uh, cool. The wonderful Mike Starr, of course. Rich uh, Brinkley is the captain. Rich Brinkley. Um, and it's just, I, I really, uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's not a very deep film. It's just a goofy fun time. And sure enough, Jim Cummings, voice actor, Jim Cummings, uh, he, uh, you know, it's been well over 20 years since mm-hmm. I saw the film. And yet I still remember, uh, the, the line of uh, Jim Cummings character, which is the floating cupcake uh, where uh, Chris Elliott is, is uh, losing his mind. He's got heat stroke and then a big uh, like puppet uh, cupcake shows up and Jim Cummings in just standard uh, like gruff in his standard gruff voice goes, he goes, now I know what you're thinking. What could be stranger than a big fat ass floating cupcake? Hey, how about one that spits tobacco and then <laughs> yeah. spits tobacco right on his face? He goes, ha see you around kid. And that's it. Uh, so yeah, I, I enjoyed watching it. Uh, and, uh, it was nice to see this thing and see just how much it stayed with me after all these years. Like at some point we, we, we talked about this one time, uh, like, the the movies that influenced us artistically but also or tv shows but also like influenced our sense of humor i think yeah, cabin boy probably. had a bit of an influence on my sense of humor that makes sense so jim cummings by the way he's that actor also he's the guy who wrote direct and started in thunder road and he has that movie the werewolf coming out that's him it's the same guy no but it's like the, it's the same name mm-hmm. and also in the mo- a movie that i saw at sundance called omniboat mm-hmm. mel rodriguez plays a character named jim cummings is it just like I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah. Because, I mean, I guess if, if you're like, those are three separate things, but it does seem to me that the voice actor, Jim Cummings is, I mean, people might not know him by name, but he's been around for so long that it seems to me if you are involved in film or TV at all, you go by, you go by, if you have a middle initial in there or something like that. Yeah. I mean, the guy from Thunder Road, uh, in the upcoming, the werewolf, that's his name. He can't help it. But yeah, like, of course. It's weird that the in writing Omniboat, someone like why did, did they not know about either of the other Jim Cummings somehow? Yeah. Maybe uh, it was a tribute to him. I Maybe don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like a Donald Trump type character. It's, it doesn't make any sense for either one. And it's it's so interesting because like the uh, what was it uh, the Green Mile the book? There's a character named Harry, and then a character name whose name is Dean Stanton. <laughs> and I was like, and then in the movie, Harry Dean stands in the movie, in the film. That's right. And I think, very all right, this, this has to be on purpose, yeah. right? Yeah. You know? Uh, but anyway, Denver, uh, not another teen movie, the, uh, the high school football stadium. It's called Harry Dean stadium. Yes. The- <laughs> 
<laughs> I've not watched that movie since we saw it in the theater. I think I'd probably laugh harder at some things and not at all at yeah. other things. Yeah, I've, I've seen it since then, but not recently. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, my turn to talk about movies. All right. First one. I w- oh, man. Okay. Talking. We mentioned T.J. Miller. Someone else from the uh, who has been me tooed but seems to have survived it okay. somehow is Casey Affleck. Sure. Uh, maybe because he's more talented than T.J. Miller. I'm not sure why, but he's um, um, uh, also like uh, I, I, I can't figure out how some people like get quote unquote canceled and some people just don't. I'm not sure where it, uh, how it happens anyway. But uh, Casey Affleck. Um, uh, the only other movie he's ever directed was the, and I always forget what it's called. I'm still here or something like that. I'm still here. I think is. Yeah. Yes. Which is like, it was during the, his whole, like Mm -hmm. the accusations about him, a lot of them come from the making of that movie. Yeah. So he made another one this year that I, this past year that I watched, um, called light of my life. And, I, uh, I, I bring up the, I start, I started with the me too thing and the cancellation thing as a way of saying like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's impossible to separate these two things, but the movie's great. Um, it's a really, really great movie. And also weirdly, there's two ways. Cause I was talking with friend of the show, Julie Sesnovich about it. The premise of the movie is that it takes place in a near future where, some sort of epidemic has killed almost every woman on the planet, except for some who are, who are immune and the women who are immune now in a world that's all men. Sure. Don't have it very well. They're like kidnapped and kept in cages for, you know, and bread and like all this terrible stuff. This all happens off screen. The movie is okay. actually, um, the movie is actually very sweet a lot of the time. And then sometimes it gets very scary, but most of the ugliness happens off screen. Okay. Um, until certain moments where it needs to happen. Uh, happens so, off screen by which I mean, like by the time the movie starts, this has already happened or there are references to, it. okay. Okay. Um, so Casey Affleck plays a, a, a father. We see his, his wife, uh, Elizabeth Moss. Um, not, I, I'm assuming not as herself. I don't think her character has a name in the movie, but mm. I don't think it's supposed to be Elizabeth Moss. Um, but she plays his, his late wife. We see her in flashbacks. And then he has a daughter who's now, I think at the time that this thing happened, cause the daughters, it must've been like a decade. Cause the daughter's like young. And I think part of the thing is that he travels, around, he doesn't stay put. They travel around together and he passes her off as his son, like keeps her hair oh, okay, short. Yeah. But I think part of the unspoken sort of tension of the movie is that she's at an age where it's, she's going to be changing in ways. that's going to make it harder right. to hide that she's, uh, his daughter. So I was talking, you know, I was talking to my friend Julie about this and there's two ways of saying like, on the one hand, uh, you could say this is Casey Affleck getting his revenge on all the women who, uh, um, uh, you know, tried to cancel him by killing off every woman in the world. But you could also say this is a kind of, uh, not that it redeems him, but kind of like he's trying to not apologize, but he's trying to, what's what I'm looking for? Ingratiate himself acknowledge. and acknowledge that, men are terrible and that like that a world without women would be almost in dis- 
indistinguishable from like a post-apocalyptic world. Um, yeah, I've seen Glengarry Glen Ross. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, the world's not, it's, it's not a friendly place. Uh, this, this world, the world of the movie. So it does seem like him saying like, I get it. Guys are awful. But I, mean, I don't know. I'm not saying it lets him off the hook. But uh, this is too much talking about the around the movie stuff. One, one way or another, though, do you think that like do you think that this film again, whether whether it's revenge, uh, re- revengeance? Oh, sorry, I'm very tired. Vengeance, vengeance, or uh, revengeful? Pardon me, revengeful yeah. or uh, some kind of mea culpa? Do you think uh, this film? Do you think he makes this film? If he no, I have this. I abs- absolutely don't think okay. that he makes this film that in which so much. And I think it's more the latter. I don't think it's actually like a vengeful thing. It is much more yeah. the latter about like saying uh, women are greater than, or the world needs women and men are awful on their own type of thing. Um, and that men like without people to keep them in line uh, will devolve to yeah. uh, there's a, civ- a civilizing influence. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I do think that's I mean, having actually seen the movie. I do think that's what he's saying. I'm not saying it lets him off the hook or anything, but I do. But I'm getting uh, I, I, I'm getting away from the point, which is that the movie is really, really great in that so much of it. The threat, like I said, is off screen that it's it's about. It's really what it really is is a movie about parenthood um, that we see him struggling as a single parent. His daughter has questions and he um, because the world that they're in is not safe for her. He doesn't do the parenting thing of like if she has a tough question, he tries to like work his way through it and. Uh, that's a lot of how they live their life. And, and, and part of the style of the movie, which I wanted to look up, um, uh, cause I f- I'm forgetting now the name of the DP, but, um, he's a really good DP who's done a lot of, of, of good stuff lately. Um, but the style of the movie is often very long takes, but not like the showy, like right. steady cam long takes, just like the, the opening shot before we know the background of what's happening. We just see Casey Affleck and his daughter in a tent or camping or whatever. Yeah. It's just a shot from above the Mr. Lading laying there and he's telling her a bedtime story and it goes on for, I think 11 minutes. It's, it's just an endless wow shot and it's so perfect and so great. Um, the do- the girl who plays the daughter named Anna. I don't know. I don't know how you pronounce. It's P N I O W S K Y. I don't know if the P is silent and it's Niowski, or if the mm-hmm. N is silent and it's Piowski, or if it's Niowski. I'm not sure how you say it. Um, let me get the uh, uh, Adam Arkapa is the name of the of the cinematographer. He did um, uh, uh, Animal Kingdom. Let's oh, okay. see. More recently, he did Assassin's Creed: The Light Between Oceans. Beautiful movie. Um, McFarland USA was a movie that I hmm. uh, think is super underrated. Um, yeah. So, uh, Adam Markopo has done a lot of really good looking stuff and, and this is, this is no exception. Um, so yeah, it's a movie about, about, about parenting, about a father parenting a daughter. And, um, uh, so much of it is about, we know there's always a threat because so much of it is about them. Whenever they like locate, relocate to a new place, they're like, okay, we're going to stay here for a while. But the first thing they do is like learn their surroundings. They pack an emergency bag and hide it outside of where they're going in case they have to leave without being able to pack up their stuff. Then, so they have these rituals. Mm-hmm. This is why the movie is just, 
it's two hours long and and with the exception of a couple of scenes there's no real interaction there's hardly there no no real a- i was going to say no real action hardly ever even any interact interaction with people besides uh the father and daughter um it's a fascinating very well-made movie and i also fully understand if you're if someone is listening who's just like not doing casey affleck anymore yeah i get it uh i fully understand you know i saw that movie at afi has this other movie the friend that he's in which is another really great movie who made that um it's the um the woman i think it's the same woman who made infinitely polar bear um, oh okay which I didn't uh, see, but I, yeah. But I, now I'm, I could be uh, uh, a sexist and just mi- mixing up uh, my female directors. Um, so it is Gabriella Cowperthwaite. Uh, oh, who made Blackfish. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, and Megan Levy, which I didn't see. And now I had to look up who made Infinitely Polar Bear. Oh, it was Casey Affleck. Damn it. Uh, infinitely... Polar Bear, 2014. Man, time flies as you yeah. get older. I can't believe yeah. he's five years or six years old. It feels like it's. Uh, I would if you had asked me what year did Infinitely Polar Bear come out, I would have said 2017. Yeah, um, that's Maya Forbes who made that. Um, uh, who also made the Polka King, which I saw. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Anyway, um, I feel like there was something else I was going to say. Oh yeah. About the friend. There's like Casey Affleck's great in it, but there's like a scene early on where it's like, a, it's um, Casey Affleck and Dakota Fanning in the shower. They play a married couple. They're mm-hmm. in the shower together. And it just, I immediately think of like the accusations of Casey Affleck, like crawling naked into bed with women who didn't let him into the room, much less into the bed. Like, and I think like, I think about Dakota Johnson in that setting, like being naked or near naked in the movie. It's like, it's upsetting to think about and, the, and it's hard to set aside. So I understand that people can't, if you can light of my life is probably worth it. If you can, you know, look, I try not to judge other people because I think anybody is capable of anything at any time. Okay. Which is very Noah cross of me. But in, for me, it's more just like I can judge actions, which I think is fine, but more than anything in a situation like that, it's like, and I know I'm probably being a bit reductive, but the idea of someone having the, uh, of thinking like crawling naked into bed with someone who's not invited me in. Yeah. That should be fine. Right. <laughs> like that, that idea of being like not having that in that moment, have that thing that clicks over and says, it's probably not a good call. Yeah. You should probably, uh, just go in your own bed or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or put yeah. on some clothes. You just, you know what, actually just, uh, go out, get something to eat. You yeah. Know, like, cause you, you probably need some strong coffee and yeah, exactly. at that point. Yeah. Cause I'm assuming he wasn't sober when he did that. Uh, right. Uh, and I know not, that again, that, not an excuse. And having never been drunk myself, I do. I, I understand that people do different types of things, uh, when they're under various influences and all that kind of thing. Not that that excuses it, but, uh, but yeah, it, there are times when I just wonder like, and I've, I've made bad decisions. We all make bad decisions, but like when the bad decision involves like either very literally or just kind of maybe in a slightly more passive way, like just forcing yourself on someone in, in a way that f- makes them be like, okay, what now, what do I have to do? What do I do here? You know, like I just, and of course, you know, maybe, uh, 10 years from now, maybe, maybe it sounds like a great idea to me, but somehow <laughs> it just can't. Yeah. 
I just I don't understand what it is. Is it a is it a movie star thing? Is it a a Hollywood thing where people say yes to you so much? Again, I'm being reductive. But I also wonder because I, I don't know. I mean, speculating maybe it is that that he is doing the Donald Trump of like if you're a celebrity, they'll sure. let you do it or whatever. But also, it might have been a more uh, mean thing of like this is going to be a prank, but the prank is like sexually embarrassing someone. Do you know sure. what I mean? Like there's, um, um, uh, I know you don't pay attention to, to NHL, but, um, there's a player named Austin Matthews who, um, like pulled down his pants in front of a female security guard when he was drunk. And like, it's clearly not a sexual assault, right? but it does seem like, a. I'm going to freak out this woman, uh, by showing her my bare ass or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then weirdly, cause there's a hockey has a lot of really dumb awards or NHL specifically has a lot of really dumb awards. And for the mid season awards, the, uh, one of the short lists for the lady Bing award, which is an award for gentlemanly conduct. Austin Matthews <laughs> got it. Um, and I'll tell you why, because, the hockey writers who vote on it don't know anything about anybody's private life. Okay. They're not thinking about this. What they do is they literally go to the stats and they're like, who has, who is a good player who scores a lot of points, but doesn't get a lot of penalty minutes. And then Austin Matthews just sort of like made on that rubric made the cut. And no one would clearly no one was thinking about his off ice behavior, but it, it just, anyway, Which to I, a certain I, extent I understand, but at the same time, like, what a what an unfortunately named uh, award uh, the lady being well just the idea of like and what it's for the description yeah. of it like gentlemanly behavior because like that's the exact opposite again yeah, yeah it's Do you, look, hey, a, hey, you know a, what we both did theater okay and i remember i won't say who but like bus stop i was i was in the dressing room getting getting uh my costume on one of the actresses uh walked by flashed us for no particular reason and uh yeah there's a like, certain uh, it, it, uninhibited it, nature in, yeah. in that sort of thing but i think there's clearly a difference uh between yeah. a woman flashing uh, a bunch of men and what austin matthews did or what casey Apple sure did. absolutely yeah yeah but um, uh i yeah. noticed well let's get off the topic because you were talking about like how you've never been drunk and people act differently they do and i think when people say people who unless someone knows me really well, like my wife or whatever, they often say like, uh, I, I can't tell when you're drunk. And I think what they mean is I don't do that. I don't act like a different person mm. when I'm drunk, but I know people there's, a, I can tell when you're drunk. Um, okay. Like uh, when you have like one of your barbecues, like if I show up a little uh, okay. bit later in the barbecue, it's like, oh, okay. Like I'm, and it's, am I just like friendlier, friendlier, a little bit louder and okay. just, uh, you know, it's, but, uh, but I'm not, acting like a different person. Is, you did I think, show what, your bare ass to me <laughs> once. Right. Uh, but we, have, I have a friend, someone, you know, I'm not going to say mm-hmm. the person uh, I'll say him. I'm not going to say his name, but, uh, just a couple months ago, we went out drinking, we went out and did karaoke and, uh, we were standing at the bar waiting for our turn to do karaoke. And someone started doing a song that we both didn't like. And I was like, Oh, this song sucks. He stepped forward and went, boo, <laughs> started yelling boo and like doing the thumbs down. To, like not something this person would do. If right. We weren't like five drinks, five drinks yeah. deep at that point. I was going to say, it's like, uh, Oh, if he's saying boo, is it Paul Goebel? It's like, and then you said, well, no, he wouldn't do it yeah, unless yeah. he was drunk. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, we're, we're taking way too much. Time. Okay. Sorry What's about next that. for you. Next for me is Noah Baumbach's marriage story, um, which I, really really liked it's 
I went in nervous because like anything that has to do with like a marriage, like a realistic depiction of a marriage breaking up specifically amongst like between like younger, a younger couple um, is something that tends to freak me out. Um, because I immediately start thinking of like all the things I do wrong as a, as a husband and, and all that. And so, uh, and I think I, I said on here that Jen watched it before I did. And I said, is this something that, that I should watch? And she said, well, let me put it this way. If you, when you watch it, I predict you're going to be real clingy afterwards. Uh Um, and, uh, so actively I tried not to be, but I get it. I, I understand, uh, why she said that because, um, I look at this, this couple's, uh, marriage and they're both creative people and creative people can be a little bit moody, um, and, and a little bit self-absorbed focusing on, am I getting my needs met and maybe not focusing quite so much on the person that they love? Uh, and so, and I definitely fall into that uh, category, but, uh, as far as the film itself, I do really appreciate the specificity because with a name like Marriage Story, it would have been real easy to make these characters generic and try to make them a stand-in for something. But no, this is this couple's story very specifically. Um, and not unlike uh, you know when you watch 12 Angry Men where you're not there for the trial, but the characters mm. talking about it afterwards or, or reservoir dogs talking about it afterwards. Yeah. You get a pretty solid sense of what things were like yeah. uh, before that. So I really like the way it's structured. I really like the way it's written. The acting is of course phenomenal all around. Um, I do think that even though we start out hearing more from Scarlett Johansson, I do think that it is probably more Adam driver's story. Um, mostly because she is the one that initiates a lot of stuff and mm-hmm. he seems to be reacting and trying to okay. like and trying to keep up with what she is doing because she has a better lawyer and he has a nicer lawyer and then realizes this is not going to work uh if i'm going to retain any level of custody over my son wow. um so there's a lot going on and what i really and and i and you see the positives and negatives of, of both characters as opposed to something like the squid and the whale where i think in the end you it's it's all about the uh narcissistic oppressive nature of the jeff daniels character specifically this this is a little bit it spreads it around a little bit more and i think it just treats divorce as a as a general tragedy um specifically when you see that once, once Adam driver, like really lawyers up and he's got like, and it's play, it's Ray Liotta. So he's just like this. Oh, atta- yeah. So he's like that. this attack dog. So it's Laura Dern versus Ray Liotta. Wonderful. By the way, both of them are great, but then you see them in the hallway and they're like, Hey, how's it going? Like, and like, Hey, I've got this charity thing. Do you, you should come to it. Like, and you realize like, Oh man, like it, it, everything just feels a little bit like a racket. Yeah. Uh, the people that are best at it are the ones that are chummy with them, with each other. And you just wonder, like, could this have actually been resolved? And Jen and I, in talking about it, determined that kind of feels like it could have been uh, if the characters had just like gone to therapy and like and really tried to make an effort to say what their needs were uh, instead of just trying to accommodate the other person, but then resenting that person for not being a mind reader. Yeah. Um, and what I, the last thing that I'll say is that it is a testament to the writing, directing and acting. And by the way, a wonderful score by Randy Newman, okay. uh, that works really well and feels like a little Woody Allen esque. Um, 
it's a testament to the film that when you talk about it, you feel like you're talking about a couple you know. And you're like, oh, if only they had just done this. Like when you hear about a couple that's having troubles or they're getting divorced, you feel bad for them and you feel like, oh man, I wish if they if only they had done this. And I come away thinking about like, I remember, uh, Robert Altman and Julia, uh, Julian Fellows, uh, when they were talking about Gosford Park, they said they wanted you to come away from the movie, not necessarily knowing characters' names, but saying like, you know, there was this one guy who's kind of dealing with this. They wanted you to come away from it talking about the characters the way you would if you had gone to a party. And you kind of picked up a few basic things about everybody. And this, you come away from the film talking about these characters as though they were your friends. And you just mourn the whole situation. There's a tendency to, uh, I, I feel like, you might wind up taking one side or another, but never at the full expense of the other person. It really is a, a marvelous film. I liked it a lot. Um, all right. Um, before we move on, we should do, uh, uh, here's an episode idea. And I can't think of that many at the top of my head, but I know there are a ton, but your Ray Liotta thing men, made me think of, we should do an episode on like former leading men and women turned character actors. Oh, Absolutely. Because I feel like I like Ray Liotta more uh, as he is now, which is just like uh, when he shows up, you know, and he's, I've tried like Rob Lowe maybe is another one. Uh, well, Christian Slater to some extent, if you watch Mr. Robot, oh, yeah. like he's a great, like. Well, when you talked about uh, the movie Confidence, I remember uh, Andy Garcia was one between like Confidence oh, right. and then uh, like Ocean's Eleven. And then frankly, any movie he's been in since then, like yeah. he was like this kind of smoldering, good-looking uh, yeah. actor in the late 80s and Did you ever early see Internal 90s. Affairs in Mike Figgis' movie? I did not. So good. I'm, I've heard so it's good. great. Yeah. I love Richard Gere as a bad guy. Uh, yes, that's true. And he's, I guess he's kind of... He's kind of like that too, yeah. Richard Gere is kind of, he's got a, his his own thing going. He seems to exist exist apart from Hollywood. And I don't say that in a negative way. Yeah, there is, like, I, I think he's, it's, the Richard Gere thing is kind of like the Brad Pitt thing hmm. in that they were so good looking and so known for sure. being good looking that it, it's a surprise later in life to realize like, Oh, they're actually talented and have good taste. Yeah. You know, like Richard Gere doesn't make uh, like, he makes some that maybe miss, but yeah. he doesn't make the safe yeah. movies. He takes chances. I think he does what interests him. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think what interests him is uh, pretty solid for the most part. Okay. All right, yes, I think on. that's a good uh, topic idea. Uh, let's move on to um, a documentary that I watched called one child nation, which I've been meaning to watch for quite a while. Um, because I, I want to say that it played it last year's Sundance. So I've been meaning to watch it, but it's part of my year end or my, you know, catch up. Yeah. Um, and it's, as far as documentaries go, it's, uh, it's in the middle for me because I tend to not like documentaries where you can tell that the movie is what they set out to make, you know, like they, sure. they came in they're they're imposing like, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to get this. And like, it's already written out in their head. Yeah, I have an idea yeah. and I, now it's just, it's all over. I just need to film it. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And where I, I tend to more like documentaries where it's like, let's see what happens. Like Honeyland yeah. is a perfect example. Um, one child nation is kind of somewhere in between. It's clearly like an issue movie. That's like, let's look at how, um, how damaging the, uh, one child rule in China, uh, was and continues to be. Um, and also let's look at how it's, there's even more to it than I think most, uh, I don't know. I think most Americans probably are like me and are like, Oh, that seems like a bad idea and yeah. didn't realize just how bad it's enforcement was hmm. because, um, 
in the 2000, in the aughts, um, which is when China opened, uh, adoption internationally. And so a lot of, uh, American and European, like couples from sort of wealthier Western nations, uh, started adopting Chinese kids. Um, there's a, a, a disturbingly high chance that the kid that they adopted, even though they were probably told, oh, this child was abandoned, was found mm-hmm. somewhere, was probably just someone who had a second kid and had that kid forcibly taken from them by the government sure. and put up for adoption. And then the adoption agency just lied to you. And yeah. uh, it's crazy to think that. And they also explore how how hard it is. Like it's They don't really... They're not uh, the the filmmakers are not able to Nan Fu Wang and I can't remember the other person's name uh, are not really able to interview American families who are in that position because a lot of them when they when they hear this they they don't want to hear it yeah you know what I mean like they don't want to know that their their son or daughter is someone who like they want to see themselves as someone who like gave a life to someone who wasn't going to have one not yeah. someone who. Uh, and so the, yeah, the movie say, you know, the, there, there are activists who are trying to put piece together the, the histories of, of a lot of these kids. And they say like these American and European parents, like they're victims in this too. Um, it's, uh, it's really heavy, um, really heavy stuff. Um, and you also get into the fact that the, the director who's a Chinese American is going back to China, um, and uh, I mean, she's Chinese born, lives in America. Okay. He's going back to China and is asking questions. And the fact that she's asking these questions, like certain people um, will talk to her and certain people won't. Like she interviews uh, one guy who was like kind of the, um, he was like a, I'm not sure what, uh, he was like a party official for their small town. And so he was in charge of enforcing the rule in their small town. And so she interviews him and then his wife starts yelling at her, the director saying, you're going to get us in trouble. Sure. Uh, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, also we'll talk about two documentaries, uh, on the, on this movie journal, um, that, uh, both of which show the, the level of propaganda within China and how, to people like us who aren't used to this sort of blatant propaganda, it seems laughable. Like to have like a town sort of, um, I don't know, a pageant or whatever, where you've got kids singing about why the one child rule is great and will make China strong is so silly. Yeah. But that's so normal there. Um, uh, and we'll get into more of that. There's uh, later, uh, two things. This is going to sound strange, but, uh, on season three of Community, the okay. character of Chang, played by uh, uh, Ken Jeong, he uh, he he's made like the chief of security, and then he stages a, a coup, and then he's the dean of the school, uh, and he just runs it like a like a dictatorship, uh-huh. and so on his birthday he has this girl sing a song, uh, and it says like <laughs> like. Chang eats the moon and drinks the sky and they both go with him when he dies. <laughs> and it's very funny. Uh, but I will say, I'm sure I've told this story before when we were in China, Jen and I, uh, and we went to the, uh, forbidden city, which we were not allowed to go into. It was truly forbidden to us, uh, because that day Trump was in town and he yeah. was going to, uh, in town. It was 
yeah, I guess that's he technically true, but it's a weird, it sounds a little too, a little too casual to put it that way. But anyway, he was going to be touring, uh, the forbidden city. So it was closed that day. We weren't able to, we wouldn't be able to go back the next day. So anyway, we, along with a lot of other tourists were outside and, uh, these two guys for Japanese television were there with a camera and they were inter- oh, yeah. they interviewed me and my friend Scott and, uh, if you have an unauthorized camera in China, they know. And right. it, like shortly after we were done, like these two military officials came up to the the Japanese guys and were saying like, "What are you doing?" And uh, and I don't know why they and like the sorry they said something in Chinese. The Japanese uh, reporters and I believe they answered in English because maybe we were around. Oh. <laughs> um, and then well, maybe they don't speak. Chinese, or maybe yeah yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> But, uh, yeah. And so we like briefly like went over and talked with like Jen and Tracy, our, our, uh, wives. And then we looked back and like, Oh, everyone's gone. I don't know where everyone went. And it was very, uh, very jarring. Um, speaking of the president being in town, that's one of the, uh, worst things about working in Beverly Hills is that whenever either this is because I've worked in two administrations in Beverly Hills. Now, whenever a president comes to Los Angeles, they're usually staying at a hotel in Beverly Hills or there's a fundraiser at someone, some rich person's house in Beverly Hills. And it'll, there'll be like a company wide email that'll go out saying like, it's okay to leave at like three today because if you leave at six, you're going to be stuck and you're going to have to go all the way around. And, uh, it's a huge hassle whenever a president comes to Los Angeles, which is a lot, uh, or a lot for president Obama. I think president Trump's only been here a couple of times. Yeah. Obama was here a lot for like fundraisers. uh, Yeah. And it was always like, uh, Oh, Obama traffic, like (laughs) getting out of here. What I want, I want a president's going to be like, all right, I'm going to be staying in Silmar. That's where I'm going to (laughs) be. That means nothing to anybody. Yeah. Out. Sorry All right. Uh, what's next for you? Uh, next for me is what is next for me? Oh, it's. Uh, so, oh, boy. OK, let's see. It's Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz's The Lodge. OK, um, which I uh, comes out next week. I haven't written my review for it yet. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting movie on on one hand. I kind of hate it. On another, I kind of love it. And I think I'm erring on the side of loving it. Um, which, But with a healthy mixture of hate. So I guess that's, that means I liked it. Um, I, I really, it's very methodical. It's about this, this, uh, these two kids whose mother dies. And uh, so they're just with their father. Their parents are, are separated. Uh, their father is, uh, now engaged to this young woman and the four of them are going to go to this, uh, lodge that, that, uh, they own for Christmas. Uh, but then the dad has to like, I think he's a reporter or something like that. And so he has to work. So he's, so the, the, their soon to be stepmother is staying with them at the lodge and then he will join them in a couple of days. Uh, and then while they're there and this, uh, it's, it's so much of it is just like far fetched and you just know that like, all right, well I imagine they wouldn't say this unless it's going to play a heavy role. And so the, uh, the father, uh, what you're able to piece together is that he's an investigative journalist and he did a, he wrote a book about cults and in doing his research and interviewing people, he ran across this woman who, when she was young, uh, played by Riley Keough, when she was young, oh. uh, was part of uh, a a death cult, uh, and she was 
designated to be the person that lived so that she could like preach the gospel of this cult. Uh, When she was like 12 or 13, she's now an adult. He's been interviewing her and she has tremendous mental problems, of course, but is mostly in, in fine shape. And so, but not always a hundred percent stable. So she, it's her with the, the children and, uh, while they're there, you know, they get snowed in. So there's a little shining stuff there and she is beginning to go a little bit crazy. Um, here's the thing. There's kind of, there's a slow burn element to it, which I appreciate. I think it is very well shot at times. It could be seen as a little bit, uh, turgid, a little bit over serious, but, and what's more is there are times when I wonder if it's being a little bit exploitative of the idea of mental illness, which admittedly is not a rare thing in the world of horror, but because the film is so serious and is trying to take these characters seriously, it feels a little bit gross the way they okay. use mental illness, but without get, with trying, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but yeah. the film is aware of that. And it actively incorporates the idea of being exploitative of mental illness into its story. And, and it winds up exploring it in a way that is tragic and kind of holds, holds to the fire, uh, you know, anybody's feet who, uh, I'm trying to structure that sentence, right? Anybody's feet who, uh, who would be dismissive of mental illness mm-hmm. or reductive and feel like, no, we know what this means. We know what I mean. And, and you know what we can, uh, and the idea like, well, we can control it. It's just easy. We'll just like use, we'll just use medicine or we'll use therapy and just, and it's this idea that like when you're on the outside looking at it, you're like, Oh, that guy's crazy. All we need to do is do this. And then he won't be. It's like, it's more complex than you think mm-hmm. it's, and perhaps more dangerous than you think, not just to this person, but to others and shame on you for thinking that you understand this. Uh, so there's a lot going on there and I really, really appreciate that. That said, I do think that the film is a little bit exploitative at times, but for the most part, I appreciated what it was trying to do and what I think it mostly succeeded uh, at doing. So I I would definitely uh, recommend it. All right. Uh, next up, I watched the movie that I believe you've already seen, uh, Greta Gerwig's little women. I did see it. And, uh, uh, like I said, I waited to see it till my mom was in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and my mom, uh, went to see it together and, uh, I loved it so much. Okay. It's so, I figured you would. It's so wonderful. It's also like light of my life. It's a lovely, beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, shot, uh, this one was shot by Yorick Lasso, uh, who is most known for being Olivier Assayas's go-to, mm. uh, go-to cinematographer, but also shot only lovers left, left alive, which is, I think one of the better looking movies of the it looks past good. decade, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, absolutely gorgeous, but, uh, really and visually there need to be like subtle different because we jump back and forth in time uh-huh. and oh, yeah, they, yeah. that like the time needs to be represented visually because they're not always announcing when we're back and forth. And it's sometimes it's like sun dappled past cold, hard present. Sometimes it's that, but only at first. And then yeah. they start to blend it together a little bit visually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but really, I, I think her Greta Gerwig's true talent uh, is in, you know, th- this is based on a novel that's been adapted so many times. It takes place in the past. It uh, it has all the, uh, it has every reason to feel stagey or dated. Sure. And she has such a, such an, e- uh, an easy hand, a sure hand with 
depicting friendship, or in this case, sisterhood. It was friendship in, in Lady Bird, but here it's uh, sisterhood. It's just the scenes of them, like, just hanging out together feel just shockingly natural. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so warm and, and, uh, and immediate. Um, that's the, a great word. Yeah. For it. The, the, the friendship between them. Um, I definitely was a mess for most of the, I, I teared because I'm a happy crier. I cry yeah. easily in movies, but I especially cry, uh, when things are happy. Um, you know, I don't consider this, a, I don't consider it an unhappy movie, but I don't consider it particularly happy. There's, there's a lot, but there's a lot of, there. a lot of the things that, but I guess what I'm saying, yes, there's sadness, but a lot of the things that make me cry are the like, um, oh, but they have each other type sure, of the, the, the sure. sort of like, there's a, there's a hope I think sure. to it that I think is what, uh, uh, makes me tear up. Um, so yeah, I thought it, I thought it was beautiful. I thought all, all the performances were great. It's st- I know this is just a generational thing and a comedy nerd thing. When Bob Odenkirk shows up in a movie, it is hard for me to take him seriously. It's tough. Even it was though, tough. For yeah, me. even though he had there's a moment between him, like after his first scene, mm. when I'm after I've gotten over the like yeah. that's Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Um, there's a moment between him and Meryl Streep, who plays they play brother and sister. Yes. That's actually like. Uh, really, uh, again, really naturalistic, and yeah. uh, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, but um, the, but the minute he shows up, it's like, is this a bit? Is yeah. he doing a bit? Yeah. Oh no, he doesn't seem to be. Yeah, yeah, it's I, I know, I, but then, I mean, there are people younger than us who maybe who like yeah. know him from being Saul Goodman, which is yeah. like and just know him as like a great, a really talented actor, which yeah. he is. Um, but it's so hard not to think of like all the. Uh, <laughs> all, of the, all of the Mr. Show characters. Yeah. Um, just from the, one of my favorite Mr. Show sketches of all time, which is, uh, the premise is just that someone comes into like a convenience store and wants change. Mm-hmm. And so I think Dave cross, I can't remember which he needs one to the talk employee. to his manager. Yeah. And they keep, so it keeps going up the chain of talking to people. And each time it switches between David cross and yeah. Bob Odenkirk as different characters to the point where like, I think Bob Odenkirk is playing like the president. I think so. <laughs> and, and the, the humor is that each character is there as they're considering it. They each make a different noise. And it's like, it's like, um, yeah. And they just, and so after a while it's just this chorus of noises. And then finally the president goes, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think if you, uh, I'm not sure if this, if the episodes of old episodes of previously on are still available, mm. but Sean and I did a, like a sort of supersized episode of previously on where we counted down our top 10 Mr. Show sketches. Mm. And that was on my list. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, and then a uh, final thing I'll say about little women is, uh, costume wise. Uh, uh, I haven't, I've already forgotten what the, um, Oscar nominations are. I can't remember if it's nominated for costumes. Well, it is, it's nominated for a BP and I feel like that's, that's what's important. What's really important. Yeah. Yeah. There, uh, there, if anything ever took me out of the movie besides Bob Odenkirk being in it, it was like, especially when it is Florence Pugh's character is Amy. Mm-hmm. When she's on her European trip, yeah. there would be like a shot and I'd be like, Jesus, look at that dress. Look at that frock. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. Look at the stitching and look at the, the collar and the lapel. Like yeah. I would actually like get lost in how beautiful her, her uh, costumes were. Well, that's the thing is about a movie like this is that we're so in any kind of period piece, we're so used to seeing like these ornate costumes, but these are characters that don't have a great deal of money. So they right. still dress I, in a way that would view, would look to us like super class. Yeah. but it has to be these are dresses that have been worn over and over again but maybe that's why the europe stuff stands sure. out to me because that's when meryl streep's character who is rich is probably yeah. buying the dresses they probably are 
Absolutely. They're, they're probably the first time in the movie we've seen any of the characters in truly expensive dresses. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, what's next for you? Next for me is, ah, yes. Okay. It is under the silver lake. Um, oh, okay. Have you, uh, did you see, uh, uh, it follows? Uh, no, I didn't see it follows. Okay. I didn't see myth of the American sleepover and I didn't okay. see under the silver lake. All right. So David um, Robert Mitchell, not your guy. I guess not, but I feel like I've seen something he wrote. Uh, that's possible. Um, yeah, I, uh, so here's the deal. I don't want to talk that much about it because I'm going to be talking about it soon uh when oh, okay. we get to our like end of the year stuff because for you it's a 2019 movie it is not a 2018 movie correct uh okay um and i wanted to make sure that i had it right like when i i looked at like the u.s release and officially it was like april 2019 but uh yeah i really really responded to it uh it has it feels very much of a piece of uh with uh, like inherent vice, which is a movie I didn't really like, but also the long goodbye and, or any kind of like detective movie that also has a, certainly a shaggy dog quality. And I think it's a film that comments on the generation of its main character and deals very much with ennui. I think there's almost, I remember a friend of the show, Jason Eakin said this in regards to like uh, the Irishman. Um, it has almost an ecclesiastical uh, element to it. The idea of, mm-hmm. of not exactly nihilistic, but this idea of like all these different things that people use to define themselves and that like eventually, and the film just undercuts all of them. Uh, and I, uh, I think Andrew Garfield is, is an interesting actor to build this movie around, but I think he does a really great job with this character who is often frustratingly unfocused, even as he's trying to investigate something and trying to figure out if there is anything to investigate. Um, and I think it's really beautifully shot, uh, which doesn't surprise me because I thought, uh, it follows is also a really well shot film, but just the way it uses music and just the way it just meanders through Los Angeles, um, I'll talk more about it when we get to our end of the year uh, episode um, or best of the year episode. But uh, I really, I'm so happy I watched it. I, I had heard mixed things about it, but then everybody who, in both cases, whether someone said, this is what I didn't like, or someone said, this is what I did. It's like, well, I like both of those. So let's give it a shot. And uh, sure mm-hmm. enough, I didn't expect to like as much as I did, but I genuinely love it. Um, I was right. There's nothing I've seen that David R. Mitchell had anything to do with. Right. I'm not sure what horror director I'm thinking of that wrote something that they didn't direct, mm. but I can't anyway. Um, all right. Next up for me is, uh, a bad documentary. It falls on that other side of the, like okay. clearly setting out to, to make a point, even though I, I feel like I say this, like at least once a movie journal, I watch a movie that I like politically agree with mm-hmm. and that I'm annoyed by because it's so like, yeah, uh, uh, superficial and shallow. So I saw the um, unabashedly pro-union propaganda film American Factory. Oh, okay. Uh, which is nominated for an Oscar, I think. It is. Because uh, I remember seeing that um, because Barack Obama is a producer, or both of the Obamas are a producer, right. so officially they're like Oscar nominees, which I guess is a trivia question. <laughs> I'm not sure how many ex-presidents or Oscar were nominated for Oscars. Um I don't think Ronald Reagan ever got nominated for an Oscar, right? Not to my knowledge, no. Um, so that's a that's an interesting thing. But Gerald um, Ford was up for supporting actor <laughs> for uh, advise and consent. <laughs> um, 
That's funny. Uh, yeah, I, uh, American Factory is a. Do you, do you know what, what it's about? I didn't know what it was about going it's in. It's about Chinese factories, right? Well, it's specifically about a factory that was. It was a GM factory in. Um, oh, I know. I'm already forgetting what state. Uh, in Ohio, right? I think Ohio. Um, that closed and it was closed for a few years, and then the factory itself and the factory itself got taken over uh, and and restarted by a Chinese company that doesn't make cars. Specifically, makes like car windows. Like they just make is called Fuyao Glass, and they make like windshields essentially. Like all day long, all they do is make windshields. Side note: um, I love that. I, there's, I don't know what it is, but there's something about like a person's entire, whether it be a worker or a manager, uh-huh. whatever it is, that somebody's entire life is devoted to this one very specific thing. Yeah. And I, it, that sounds uh, negative. It isn't. I like the idea that there's just like every, like one aspect of a car, which has a billion parts to it. And it's like, yep, that's what we do. That one thing. <laughs> yeah. And we uh, do it well, damn it. And so, yeah, the movie's like a full two hours long and there are like, it is scattered with some great, great human interest moments mm-hmm. and great, just like, Oh, that's how a factory works type thing. Sure. And also some, some stuff that is, I think a pretty damning look at how um, how factories are run in China and how this Chinese company expects things to run in America right. and and doesn't you know like some I mean as much as like yeah I'm pro union and the movie is very much on the side of the workers who want to unionize and the 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 <coughs> the, the 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 Chinese owners of the business and the Americans who work for Fuyao FGA Fuyao Glass America uh, who are in those like executive positions are obviously opposed to unionization. Um, And I think it's just, it just seems like it so clearly has its thumb on the scale the whole time. And I'd say that as someone who, uh, yeah. Who, who, and I also feel like there's so much, I almost feel like, you know, you didn't have to work this hard. And, right? and they didn't because, um, the, 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 the way in which, and I can't, uh, the one thing that, that does surprise me is how much the Fuyao glass people were willing to talk to the documentarians about mm. their tactics and opposing the union. Like it, they didn't do themselves any favors. Right. Um, being so clearly like schemingly anti-union, um, and also the the way that um, certain not the upper but certain middle management people are pretty bald faced about the way that they're like, yeah, we saw on the news that one of my employees was at this pro union rally. He won't be working here in two weeks, which is against the law. You can't. Yeah. But they, I, I think but a lot of the middle management, uh, I think, are from the from China who uh, where that's not against the law. Hmm. Uh, in fact, they go. One of the more eye-opening parts is when they go and visit the Fuyao, uh, Fuyao factory in China, and you see that, like, technically, those workers are unionized, but the sure. workers' union is operated by the company and is, in fact, run by the company president's brother-in-law, <laughs> um, uh, and, and is clearly on the side of the company. Yeah. Um, but that's that's, that's good old fashioned like Louisiana politics kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but you do get more of that uh, great Chinese propaganda because you get uh, uh, they bring a bunch of the American workers over and like have a whole like gala like celebration and they have multiple song and dance numbers about how great Fuyao Glass is and how it is how good it is to help the company by working hard for them. <laughs> <laughs> so this has just been a real anti-China uh, couple of weeks for you. I, yeah, again, it was really. I honestly watched those just a few days apart, um, yeah. and then I went. Then I went to Sundance and 
So yeah, I only have five movies on this movie journal, but I also watched 15 movies. <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. Of course. It's on the But, um, yeah, I, I was really, uh, let down by American factory. I, I, I fall for this every year, like movies that I'm like, that doesn't look good for me. Uh, that doesn't look good to me. And then it starts getting a lot of awards attention and I'm like, maybe I should check it out. And I'm like, no, this wasn't yeah. for me. And there is a way to do, I, I, I mentioned, I can't remember it was the last movie journal I won before. Uh, the movie hail Satan is a movie that sure. I think actually, because it's another one that I'm on the side of, but actually like engages it has engaging arguments, not straw man arguments. It actually yeah. is, uh, is arguing well in favor of something, uh, interesting. I, I, the movie, these, this kind of movie can be done well, but I, I don't know. I can't, I cannot imagine someone who was opposed to unions watching American factory and going, I guess I was wrong because the it's, it's such a thin, uh, argument. Well, it's, I feel like it's in direct proportion, like, uh, to, uh, uh, quote jerry blank the idea of i've got something to say like the the louder the the film says that yeah. the less likely it is to convince anybody who didn't already agree with the thing yeah. that that person is saying i think it, yeah it's uh, it, it, uh, it ends up the movie ends up feeling more racist than it should I oh think, interesting because uh so many of the bad guys are chinese <laughs> and i mean i guess that's kind of inevitable but i guess when you're if you're enga- starting to engage in like what to us are like the sillier aspects of it, like, uh, like the propaganda, like the propaganda yeah. then, then it can start to seem like we're just shitting on the whole culture. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, okay. So next for me is a film. It's a rewatch. I haven't seen it in a while, but I watched, I showed it in my, uh, uh, history of American cinema class. And that is F.W. Murnau, Murnau's Sunrise. Oh, um, yeah. <clears throat> which technically an American film, yeah. uh, his first American film. Um, and I showed it kind of as a way of showing like, okay, I was explaining German expressionism and like, and now a lot of these filmmakers moved over to the U S and you, now you're starting to get like external influence, uh, artistic influence on like Hollywood films. Um, and uh, I don't get me wrong. Obviously, German expressionist films were still could still be popular here because there wasn't the language barrier. But now you have an American studio with a German director, and you have this film, which is just so damn amazing. I love it so much. I'm, my students liked it. Like one, like uh, one of my uh, students, she said afterwards, she's like, she goes, I almost cried because she, she was so invested in like this couple, even though everything's like really over the top and it has this very odd fairy tale type quality to it. Um, but still mixed with urban life, you know, like they, this couple like lives off in this cottage and it just looks like, you know, like their children, Hansel and Gretel are about to go off into the forest. Uh, but then they go into the, into the city and it's, like a modern city. Yeah. yeah. And I just, and yeah. I, I love that. And yes, one could look at that as, I mean, not even at, like it is very much an, uh, uh, idealization of the country. Yeah. And then the city is this evil place. There's like our, the villain is simply the woman from the city. It's like, I bet the city part is the part is the bad part. Um, Although my favorite part of the movie happened, happens in the city. Can oh, you guess sure. my favorite part of the movie is, is it the pig? It's the oh, pig. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, that got a lot of laughs from my, from my class. Uh, you know, cause Hey, Comedy's comedy. Yeah. Um, it's a cute little piglet. It is a very cute little piglet. Piglet's still alive, by the way. Outlived the whole cast and crew. Um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, lives in a mansion up in the hills. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's a film that, uh, you know, 
I love silent film. I haven't really seen that much of it. So, okay, sorry, hang on. This is going to be one of those things. Compared to people that love silent film, I haven't seen as much of it. Right. Compared to most people, I've seen 100% more than they've ever seen. Uh, but Sunrise... Yeah, you, and I'm sure you've seen more than I've seen, although I've made an effort in recent years to yeah. watch more silent films. Um, uh, and I should, too. Like, And almost all the silent films I've seen are from the 20s. I have seen very little from the actual teens. Mm. Um, so, so I definitely need to make more of, uh, of an effort, but... Uh, listeners, if you've not seen Sunrise, uh, definitely, but you have seen something like Nosferatu or The Last Life, or you've seen other Murnau stuff, mm-hmm. uh, check out. And he also he did Faust as well, right? Yeah, along with several other things. But uh, yeah, we did. I mean, we did a we did a profile did a profile yeah. forever ago, and I watched a bunch. I yeah. watched. Uh, uh, yeah, those big ones, but also some of the like somewhat the second tier ones, like sure. City Girl, sure, um, and then the sort of. Low key surprise in the bunch for me is in, uh, out of the bunch for me is um, uh, now I forget what it's called the finances of the Grand Duke or something like that. Uh, I didn't see it. It's like a it's like a caper comedy. It's so not yeah. the expressionist thing we think of, but it's a lot of fun. And but when you see when you see stuff like the piglet sequence, yeah, you, you, you he, absolutely see that he has yeah. uh, the ability to to adapt to like different uh, genres and different tones. Uh, but yeah, listeners, um, whether it be it's it's usually like. Soviet montage films, German expressionist horror, or silent comedies like that. Those tend to be the ones that we return to over and over again. Uh, and Sunrise, while certainly having expressionistic elements, is not a horror. Um, so I would, re- I definitely recommend watching it because it really is a, a marvelous film. Um, okay, do you have another? I one? have one more. Okay. You have one more, right? right? Yes. I have. Tyler, you and I were talking off mic about. Um, that feeling when we're cramming at the end of the year before we do our best of, yeah. and sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, why did I waste my time? Yeah. Well, the opposite happens too. Okay. And so uh, a movie that is probably very likely to make my top 10 is Kirill Mikhanovsky's Give Me Liberty. Okay. And uh, this movie is... Um, it, it, I use the word immediate uh, with Little Women. This is immediate in a different way. In fact, I'll... Uh, uh, I'll reference my my uh, my boss at work was talking about it and compared it to Uncut Gems and it has mm. a very similar like a it's super tense you're watching one guy uh, at least for the first half of the movie juggle a bunch of different things uh, at once and it feels like the camera is just barely keeping up sure most of the time uh, the premise at least of the first half and I won't, it, it changes in the second half and I won't get really get into that but it's a it's a it's a young man uh, he's a first generation American his his parents and grandparents are, are Russian but they live uh, in Milwaukee and he he's 25 years old and his job is that he drives a van for a service that goes around and picks up people who have disabilities mm-hmm. and takes them to wherever they need to be. They, they, they reserve this van and he shows up. And so this day, like the day starts with him, like he's trying to get out of the house, but his grandfather who's not all there is like trying to cook and is going to burn down the kitchen. But he's like, I got to go. So he's like, got to pick up these other people and he's late because of his grandpa. And then he's late because the one guy he has to pick up, who's uh, like one of those sort of like incredibly overweight uh, Mm -hmm. guys is like, he's taking a long time to get out, you know? And so he's already running behind and behind and behind. uh, And then um, he's trying to keep his, grandfather from getting evicted for burning down the apartment right. for almost burning down the apartment building and then the 
because uh, the building he lives in is it's mostly Russian immigrants. They all know him. And so there's this group of older uh, Russian ladies who they they had reserved a, a similar van to go to their friend's funeral or to go to the cemetery to see their friend get buried. And that van didn't show up. So he decides sort of begrudgingly to give them a ride. So he's still trying to do all his other uh, uh, pickups and drop offs. Yeah. Um, and it's not sitting well with his regular passengers who suddenly have to cram in with a bus full of like singing morning Russian ladies. Uh, and I'm not even going to get into this, the, uh, the Russian con artist who shows up. There's so much going on for this first hour. Um, it's, uh, it's exhilarating and incredibly tense and often very funny at the same time. Uh, in the same way that uncut gems is like the nervous laughter from just how like uh, crazy everything is. And then it becomes yeah. a different thing, but it's all, it's, it's a movie that's about, uh, it, it's about immigrants. It's about, uh, race. It's about, um, class, um, without ever like being that sort of like, uh, was like strident or, or prescriptive or instructive or anything right. about it. It's just like, uh, it just simmers in it. Like, for example, if in a worse movie, what I'm going to say uh, would would be really heavy-handed. Okay, which is that part of the thing that's uh, uh, going on in Milwaukee the day of the, the movie takes place on one day, and what's going on that day is that there are protests because of, because of a recent police shooting of. We assume an unarmed black person. We sure. don't actually know, but given who's protesting and what they're protesting, that seems to be it. But the movie doesn't like do like the heavy-handed sort of like cross-cutting. For most of the movie, the only thing, the only effect that these protests have is that roads are closed and it yeah. makes it more stressful. But like slowly, that part of the the day becomes a bigger part of the of the story in a way that feels very natural and very organic and doesn't lose sight of this these characters as as human beings it's uh it's a really astounding achievement especially given that most of the core cast this like uh there it's very often the end titles for a movie start with the word introducing yeah and then like three different names cycle through while the word introducing is still there because the the driver who's nominated for independent spirit award i think mm. uh one of his passengers, who's a young black woman with uh, MS who uses a wheelchair, and the aforementioned Russian con artist um, are all credited as introducing. I, I looked up the, the con artist has a couple of other uh, credits, but for the other two main characters, this is the only credit they have hmm. on IMDb. And the performances are uh, so fantastic and so so natural. And uh, yeah, often often very funny, especially that... I don't want to say that that very overweight guy mm. um, is <laughs> hilarious because he's only in like two longish scenes, yeah. but he talks nonstop <laughs> throughout the entire time to the point where like the driver is like other things are going on and he's just still in the back talking. <laughs> like, uh, there's so much funny stuff in the where movie. Where can somebody uh, find this film? Um, you know, that's a good question. I was lucky enough because it's coming out on, um, DVD very soon um, that I got a DVD screener. Oh, okay. Um, uh, as far as so, so not, that so that answers where I can find this film. Where <laughs> yeah, can, can where can listeners? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the release date is. Okay. Oh, yeah, you can currently rent it. Uh, so it's not streaming anywhere, but it is. Uh, a re- 
I, I, this is a semantic thing. When people say streaming, they mean like subscription streaming, right? Uh, SVOD subscription okay. video on demand. It's available transactionally TVOD sure. transactional video on demand, which you can rent it from Amazon or YouTube or Google or voodoo or all of those like okay. iTunes, those kind of things. But I'm just saying it sounds wonderful semantically, whether you're, whether you subscribe to a service or you're renting it through a service, it's still streaming. Neither one is right. downloading the movie to you. Yeah. It's still technically streaming, but I understand when people say streaming, they mean subscription services. Right. Yes. Uh, not rental, but it's, so it's available for rental. All right. And yeah, you can borrow the DVD. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So, uh, my last film is a movie you have seen, which oh. is, uh, Lorene Scafaria's hustlers. Yeah. Uh, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and boy, having seen, um, the meddler, which is, you know, I really loved, uh, this is just, it's night and day, like as far as the type of film. Okay. And if, if you'd seen, you know, if you watch The Meddler and, and then someone said, hey, you know, she's going to make a film that is heavily informed by Goodfellas, uh, you'd be like, hi, that's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, but no, she she managed to make this film that has this propulsive forward momentum. And and I don't say this in a negative way is, is it feels very much like Goodfellas, like as far as the way music is used, the way oh, yeah. we have these quick cuts to these uh, little sort of vignettes and then we smash cut back or whatever it is. Um, and so it just has an energy that feels refreshing. Um, and just feels, it really puts you in the, the world of, of these characters. Uh, I think the, the acting all around is, is really wonderful. Um, Jennifer Lopez is the one that, that gets all the press understandably. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's an effortless <clears throat> performance. She's like, uh, the way she just carries herself. She's just a woman with tremendous confidence, incredibly intelligent, obviously. And, and she, and she knows it. She knows what she is capable of as a dancer and just as a person. And it's, it's a very self-assured performance. Uh, my, I'm largely unfamiliar with constant, 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 woo, woo. them really well. The breakout for me though, although she's been around for a while is Kiki Palmer. Uh, I think okay. she's, she's, uh, she's uh, African American. And oh, so okay. she's part okay. of that, yeah. that core. And, uh, I mean, there's uh, like all these characters have, have Lily, funny moments. Lily but, Reinhardt with the vomiting, right? Yeah. It's, which is obviously uh, very gross, but, um, I don't know. but yeah, I'm uh, not grossed out by vomit for some reason. Yeah. Well, I know a uh, long time listeners know that it's your favorite thing to do. Um, to vomit? yeah, I don't uh, think that, that uh, goes back to like episode 13 yeah. or something, but, um, uh, but also real quick, um, about Jennifer Lopez before we move on and a lot of the characters, but Jennifer Lopez in particular, like a true anti-hero, which is like yeah. a difficult tight walk, tight rope to walk in the first place. And some, and people seem to have even more difficulty with women when it comes to being sure. actual, like true anti-heroes. Yeah. The, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, especially these days that like when, like if a woman is the, the villain, not that she is a villain, but like, but she's definitely, and I wouldn't even say she's fully an antagonist, but there are times when she is antagonistic uh, and then times where mm-hmm. she is, she's an antihero. And I think that I remember when gone girl came out and the idea that a, a, a woman is the, the, the villain of that piece yeah. and, and manipulative and all that sort of thing. People have a tendency to just say like, Oh, well, that's sexist. 
And to me, uh, be, maybe it's just because I'm a fan of noir. It's like, no, women can be villains just like anybody else. It's fun. Um, and yeah, her Absolutely. character, I, I, I love the, the way the film appro- uh, approaches her character and that like she's, she, it's hard to classify her. Um, Constance Wu clearly has a, a bit more of a conscience, um, but it's not as though Jennifer Lopez is like a sociopath. She just, she has been hurt and screwed over for a good portion of her life. And she is aware that while, as Jen pointed out many times as we were watching it, she looks amazing uh, for her age. She also, the character is undoubtedly aware that like this cannot last Mm -hmm. forever. And I don't, and there is no retirement fund here. So I need to take care of myself because no one else is going to take care of me. And I'm not going to be able to take care of myself the way I have been for a whole lot longer. Yeah. And so, um, and we even see a scene there where she and a couple other dancers are, are, you know, giving a private show to these guys. And one of them, even though, and I'm sorry to, to talk about the character's looks, but that's a big part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the guys clearly is like not into this older woman, even one that looks and dances astonishingly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he says, he goes, Hey, you know, Hey, sorry, I'm just not really feeling it. And it's like, and you can tell in that moment that she is feeling like, this is probably going to happen more. Mm. Uh, it's I, I love. There's a sadness to her performance as yeah. well. Um, I really, I really like the movie, and I really like the performances. I really, speaking of performances, I also really like because I liked her in Cam last year, but I didn't watch Handmaid's Tale, so she was new to me at the time. But Madeline Brewer, who plays the uh, the late addition to the crew, who's a drug addict, yeah, uh, she's a really good actress. She is um, good. She's she's good because. Without, in my opinion, without really overplaying it, you know immediately it's like, this is a bad call. Yeah. Like, she should not be a part of this. Yeah. Um, but also, going back to the piglet uh, from Sunrise, speaking of cute uh, animals, there's a cute little dog. Yes. And is. my favorite shot is the stripper is, like, treating the dog like a stripper, like, throwing dollar bills at the dog yeah. while there's, like, the passed out Wall Street guy on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, uh, and, you, and you know what? I'll also say this. This is something that I try to pay attention to ever since uh, my Columbia days. Really really solid and interesting sound choices. Like one is we've got, you know, we have a sort of a framing device where Julia Stiles is interviewing Constance Wu and there comes a moment where Constance Wu reaches out and turns the recorder off. And at at which point the sound goes out completely. Yeah. And then other things is, is that one character that you're, you're talking about um, is actively trying to record these other two characters. Like she's got, she's wearing a wire (laughs) and clearly the sound for that whole scene is the mic that she's wearing. You say that's clear. Uh, this is like a little peek behind the curtain of like the world I work in. Someone someday is going to reject that. Like they're going to receive that. Like uh, the, the hustlers for some internet service sure. and their like tech person is going to, because they don't pay attention to context sure. is going to reject that for both of those yeah. uh, things. Admittedly, the first, the first one, thing I thought it's, it's a, the, sort of poisonous aspect of my job is there are certain things anytime there's um like a movie is say in english and there's not english dialogue that is intentionally not subtitled Mm -hmm. i immediately think that's going to be a headache for someone because someone's going to have to uh argue no this is creative intent yeah because someone's going to reject it for not having subtitles jen and i have an old sound bar and when we watch and every once in a while when we're watching something streaming like every 25 minutes the sound will go out for half a second that's oh. it. So when that happened, but that's only when we're streaming something. Right. Um, and so, 
a, we need to get a new soundbar. But also, uh, when that moment happened, Jen yeah. like looked at me like, not that I did anything, but like looked at me like frustrated with our, cause she assumed it was our soundbar. Yeah. And she's like, she goes, we have to replace the soundbar. And I said, honey, <laughs> the, and, and it, it's not, it's, I don't mean to like disparage her because contextually, uh, she has reason to doubt yeah. the sound. Yeah. But I said like, you'll notice she just turned the, the recorder off and she's like, Oh yes, of course. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, Oh, that you're absolutely right. Like there are people that, uh, I imagine think have to think because of their job and it's understandable. Like they have to think purely technically yeah. and the idea yeah. of, uh, and you're just like, uh, why do these filmmakers have to get cute? <laughs>